Hello, Internet. Before beginning today's episode of Potterless, I wanted to give a huge shout-out to Katie Reekin, our newest supporter on Patreon, which is a website that's basically like a running Kickstarter. Katie, among others, has decided to pledge money to Potterless and in return gets rewarded with bonus content. So there's bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes stuff, director's commentary, etc. If that's something that interests you, feel free to go to patreon.com slash Potterless. If not, don't worry. That makes you a normal human being for not wanting to give money to this silly little podcast. But anyway, let's not waste any more time, let's get into episode 7, starring return guest Amanda McLaughlin to discuss the first section of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Welcome back, everyone. The third book in the series, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Welcome back to Potterless, everyone. The tale of a 24-year-old man reading a series of children's novels for the first time. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined back again for her second crack at the series, Amanda McLaughlin. Amanda, how are you? I am so pumped. This is my favorite book in Harry Potter. One of my favorite sections in one of my favorite books ever. And uh, oh. I'm pleased to be back. Double whammy. I'm glad to have you back. We haven't released any episodes at the time of recording this, but I'm sure I'm that gonna people are- going to be a crowd favorite. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's be I'm realistic sure people are here. crying and begging for your return. Like, oh, why is Amanda on every episode? <laughs> I'm a professional podcaster in that I make a very small amount of money from podcasting. So, hey, you know, still a professional, you still know, a professional. <laughs> so let's let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. Uh, so chapter one of this book is called Owl Post. And chapter one is really bad. Mm -hmm. It was I thought that by the third book, J.K. Rowling would stop the whole let's refresh everything. Oh, no, there's <laughs> endless signposting. Yeah. I was like, all right, the first two books, it makes sense. Third book, like, she's not going to tell us everything that happened in the first two oh, books, yeah. is she? And that's exactly what happened. To be fair, this is really when the popularity of the series picked up. Like, my oh, first midnight okay. release party for a Harry Potter book was for Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, you know, Chamber of Secrets release in the U.S. wasn't, like, a huge media then, but Azkaban okay. was. So I get that there may have been some new readers. But, yeah, I mean, you okay. are, you're getting the trends now where every book opens <laughs> with Harry, you know, home Harry's for summer. birthday. It's Harry's birthday and he's sad <laughs> yeah so it's harry's 13th birthday he's very sad classic harry potter birthday in the Ooh, and lots of unluckiness running through this book 13 13th year hmm. oh that makes sense Omens. that makes a lot of sense so the biggest thing that happens in the beginning of chapter one is uh, Ron calls the Dursley house phone God. using a muggle phone that his dad oh, must have got because his dad loves muggle things. He, he calls the house phone and he doesn't understand that a phone, you just have to talk into it normally. He nope. yells really loudly on the other end to the point where it makes Papa Dursley very upset. I know. And then it's like, well, probably Ron figured out from his dad that he shouldn't have done that. His dad knows nothing about muggle technology. So I was like, <laughs> narrate. That's a little bit probably overconfident in the abilities of Arthur Weasley. Hermione, on the other hand, knows what the heck is up and she knows did not try everything. to call Privet Drive. Hey, I'm Harry's wizard friend. Can I speak to him? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ron 
almost completely blows all sorts of cover. He gets Harry in, in serious trouble. So just bad move on Ron's part. Then he writes him a letter later and he's like, oh, by the way, sorry, I almost, you know, probably got you latched up and tied up and whipped and all sorts of things that the Dursleys <laughs> like to do to Harry Potter. It's sort of like when the Dursleys punish Harry, what could they really do? Like how yeah. much worse could this get? He's not in the broom <laughs> cupboard anymore, which is good. But like, you know. What, what really can they continue to do? Lock him in his room with no food? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, he's already at rock bottom. I don't know how they get him <laughs> below that. But, you know, they, they find a way. So three owls have come through uh, with gifts from Ron, Hermione, and Hagrid. Again, the standard sort of gift receiving that Harry Potter gets every Christmas and birthday. Oh, yeah. It must be a really wide window to have three owls abreast. I was thinking about that. Like, how does that exactly work? <laughs> Ron gives him a sneakoscope. Yes. And I'm not entirely sure what the sneakoscope does. Well, it is vague. And so I think the line is something like, um, you know, senses the presence of irreputable or sneaky or maleficent characters. So it's okay. supposed to be like, oh, like, you know, I'm in a bar chatting with a dude. Oh, no, sneakoscope's going off. I'm out of here. Um, oh, it's supposed to be a little okay. bit like helping you read. So it's like a sketchometer. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So Hermione gives him a broom repair kit, which sounds boring, but it's Harry's favorite thing. He is obsessed with it. Sounds kind of pervy. Actually, it's great. (laughs) And then Hagrid gets him some monster book, and Harry is very confused of why he got him a book about magical creatures and where to find them. Yeah, almost blows his cover. Loud, huge book jumping off his bed, chomping at the floorboards. Is this the book that they turn into the movie? Is this the Magical Creatures and Where to Find Them book that is coming out to theaters soon? Or is this a different textbook? Uh, So it's not based on the same book. Actually, around this time, Scholastic or whoever released two little tiny volumes by J.K. Rowling to kind of supplement the series, one of which was titled Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which was meant to be like a children's primer from the Wizarding World. Anyway, this is just a a bestiary type, like animal focused book. Okay. Cool. And then the final thing he gets from the owls is a letter from Hogwarts saying that he's allowed to go to Hogsmeade, which I've been to in Florida, (laughs) but he needs to get a permission slip sign. Basically, there's a lot of hype around Hogsmeade, and I still don't really get what it is. At this point in time, reading it for all the listeners, I am at chapter, the end of chapter seven in book three. I haven't read any farther. So Hogsmeade has not really been described to me. All I can gather is that it's the coolest place ever. It's meant to be hyped. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's like Six Flags you know, for for Harry Potter and company. Exactly. Um, but you uh, don't miss, this is the chapter also where we get introduced to Bill, the coolest Weasley, oh. who is an Egyptian curse breaker. And my favorite line from Ron's letter, mutant skeletons of muggles who'd broken in and grown extra heads and stuff within the pyramids. I want to know more about those. Yeah. What, what crazy curses were there <laughs> that muggles, you know, grew extra heads and then like collapsed dead. No, totally. I The Weasley family is just the coolest family to ever exist. And I just want to <laughs> awesome. be a part of them so badly. Just in every way, shape, and form. I don't blame Harry for wanting to marry Ginny, if not only to marry into that family and hang out with the squad. Word. So then we get into chapter two, uh, Aunt Marge's big mistake. Oh, no. Before we even get into this, I think Aunt Marge is a completely worthless character and had no business being in the book at all. Yeah, she's like the trench bull, but not interesting. Exactly. And taking up valuable page space. Yes. Her only purpose is to put Harry over the edge to where he runs away. Right, which, like, the Dursleys could do literally for anything. Exactly. That's what I'm saying is, like, all you need is, like, Petunia to get super mad at him or Vernon to get super mad at him. Yeah, or the the book bites Dudley 
There you go. Yeah, like you just need one of the Dursleys to flip out on him. You don't need to introduce this like other awful. I know. Like we get it. The, the Dursley family is horrible. We don't need this extra all person. Fat, blah. For the most part, I've really enjoyed the series. This is the only time so far where I've like wanted to just flip the pages and be like, let's get through this. We do learn some important stuff though. Yes, you do. I just found it annoying. But let's get to the funny things. Dudley is described as having five wobbly chins. So <laughs> JK is just back at it with. It's like, like a cascading mm-hmm. champagne tower of chins. <laughs> uh, she just like gets increasingly more brutal with the descriptions of how fat <laughs> this really family does. is. Like it only gets worse. I'm really excited she to really see does. chapter seven or when it's seven, Harry's yeah. birthday at the Dursley family <laughs> and like whatever. Dudley is like <laughs> in a room and he can't get out of. Oh no. Oh man. <laughs> then she goes on to describe Vernon as having quote very little neck and Petunia as quote bony and horse faced. But she says it like it's just like too casual the way she does it. Like it was in the I middle know. of the sentence. It was just like Petunia who was bony and horse faced like went to get more <laughs> eggs. Like it's, it's like ho oh. Still with the signposting. <laughs> Don't worry readers. These people are weird looking. Uh, also that happens a lot with uh, our first couple of chapters in Hogwarts which we'll get to later where they're like you know Pansy Parkinson with a face like a pug. You know like yes. oh, okay we don't have to know that exactly. And also why do all of the Slytherins have really distinctive like physical characteristics that are kind of bizarre? Anyway we'll, we'll get there. And why do 80% of people in the Hogwarts universe have alliteration names? It's terrible. Uh, it's you so know, bad. It's one of the criteria of admission. Uh, yeah, that must be like a thing. Like when you're applying for college, it's like, are you a legacy? Are you a honor roll student? Do you have an alliteration name? The magic <laughs> algorithm that decides, I guess that would be a spell, the spell that decides <laughs> which people get Hogwarts letters and like, hmm, if we're on the fence, do they have an awesome name? Exactly. What will the sorting hat sound like shouting out their name? Yeah, are they going to sound cool when our animated hat yells their name? So you find out that Aunt Marge is coming in for a week. Aunt Marge is Vernon's sister and she's terrible. So she's obsessed with her dogs. That's like her big thing is that she has these dogs. She's crazy obsessed with them uh, and only will talk about them all the time. Mm-hmm. So the the Dursleys are making Harry pretend that he goes to the equivalent of like a juvie criminal boy camp thing. St. Brutus's secure center for incurably criminal boys. Yeah. So good. I guess their stance on like the punishment versus reform, like, you know, prison argument is pretty clear. They're incurably criminal. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So that's the alternative to saying he goes to Hogwarts. But what is amazing is that Harry, when he's told that he's supposed to upkeep this lie, he blackmails Vernon into signing the permission slip to Hogsmeade, which is absolutely incredible. I mean, if I were him, I would have just forged the signature. Yeah. And that's sort of like in my head for the next couple of chapters. I'm like, Harry, just fucking forge the signature. Like no one is, no one yeah, is watching. Yeah, he's so intent about like trying to get a signature and asking other people later on for it. It's like, Harry, just scribble he's a name. 13, like there's gotta be yeah. a spell to do this. You're a wizard. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> so he blackmails him into signing the permission slip, which is amazing. And Vernon even threatens to beat him. And Harry basically says the equivalent of like, try me. I know. He also, I love Sassy Harry in the books. Um, my favorite line from this chapter was Vernon said, I'm not taking you uh, like to the station. I guess he thought that Harry wanted to go. And then Harry's response was like, I wanted to come. <laughs> <laughs> sassy Harry clearly is best Harry. He is 13. Oh yeah. I mean, it makes sense. He's going into his sassy years. After this goes down, Vernon doesn't sign the slip, but like says he's going to. So he basically gives in. And then Aunt Marge comes over 
So she, right off the bat, suggests that Harry is not being beaten hard enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, thinks that he's not getting hard enough beating, suggests Vernon should try to ramp that up a little bit. I also took a little side note here where I said, I'm really wondering what the purpose of her being in the book is. And then I later found out. (laughs) But like, (laughs) still she's like, describes her and what she's doing for five pages. And I'm like, what is the purpose of this woman? So she gets super drunk off brandy. Typical. Typical British auntie. <laughs> she just starts spewing shit about Harry's parents and saying that they're awful and that his dad was the worst and all this other stuff. And then Harry, who was supposed to like not say anything this whole dinner as his typical protocol, basically starts standing up for his dad and being like, no, he wasn't the worst. Like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Including the line, bath blood will out, which A, is just like a badass line. This is what Aunt March says about Harry, saying like his parents were tainted, so so is Harry. Um, but this is going to be a running theme. Like, should we care about about a person's heritage, what is inbred, what is taught, like blood itself as a source of power or temptation or status or class. Um, so, you know, pay attention as as time goes on. This little throwaway line, you know, maybe is Marge is one redeeming factor. Yeah, it makes sense because it's also it also plays off like some of the stuff that happened with the whole mud blood situation in book two. Precisely. Yeah. And I mean, it it only kind of snowballs. Yeah, it's going to just, I can definitely see that coming into a big deal, especially because the sixth book is called The Half-Blood Prince. So I want to think that that is is like a major theme in the sixth one. Marge gets like super mad and then she starts to get so upset that she starts inflating and rising to the ceiling. So good. At first when the narrator was describing her like getting really large and inflated and stuff, I was like, wow, she's getting really mad. Right, like taking a big breath to yell at Harry like a bulldog. Exactly. I was like, oh, she's just getting like so mad and flustered that she's like getting like large but then I was like uh, and then it says she started levitating towards the ceiling and I was like <laughs> oh okay this is Harry now <laughs> like, that is one reason that you should read a print version of the book or an ebook or if you do there are these beautiful little illustrations at the start of every mm-hmm. chapter and this illustration for this one is Aunt Marge looking like that blue girl in Charlie exactly. and Chocolate Factory you know like the one that's all yeah, that's all blown yeah, up, up like on Violet. the ceiling and yes. what I think is great about the what's great about the drawings in the books is that it's it's not always like the most important part of the chapter or like the most recognizable thing but it's always something interesting that happens like halfway through yeah and there's always so much character and texture yeah. like you know, like literal texture in the drawings, but also just like little corners and like objects lying around and really get a sense of like just the richness and tradition and like dust and smell of the magical yeah, world. Yeah, did the illustrations need to get more props? Because like my favorite one was in the second book. It was uh, it was the Death Day Party chapter and the little picture yes. is like the petrified cat. And I'm like, why is there yes. this like scared cat? As the picture. Oh, because the chapter ends with like exactly. a s- abruptly sobering. Yeah. yeah but it's scene. like there's so many other things in that chapter that you could have made it. Like you could have made it the headless horseman. You could have made it the ghost party. Yeah. You could have made it just the wall that says whatever slither and air, blah, blah, blah. Like you could have done all this other stuff. I know. You almost like forget what the picture is halfway through. And then when the thing happens, you're like, oh, that's why the mm-hmm. picture is like this really fat person or whatever. Yeah. I always check the, the chapter title when I'm done as well to f- kind of figure out for myself what meant you know in retrospect that's cool fun little stuff so yeah everyone read the real book or at least look them up yeah the (laughs) the one plus of doing the audiobook is the guy does really funny voices for everyone and his mcgonagall is 
atrociously Scottish. Amazing. There's pluses to everything. <laughs> uh, but we also, this chapter, learned about Sirius Black. We do. We do. He's on the news, right? Yes. I think Vernon just mentions it from the television early on uh, in the chapter. And so what we know is Sirius is, is an escaped convict. Um, and also he's on Muggle TV. So that is something that I don't think I noticed the first time around. But reading it now, I'm like, oh my God, like how and why is he on Muggle yeah. TV? Like who is the Muggle wizard liaison? How does that happen? Like when are threats bad enough that they can escalate it to muggle consciousness? We'll find this out, but it's something interesting to uh, to Yeah, notice. I didn't really put two and two together until in the in the future chapter when they discuss why he was on Muggle TV and all why? this stuff. Yeah. I didn't even realize it. And then once that happened, I was like, oh, right, like this is such a big deal that normal humans are seeing this news about an escaped wizard, which is crazy, so... They are. So yeah. So while while that was was that that was before she starts erupting and everything. That was like before dinner. Yeah, no, starts. that was that was pre Marge. But now, now, yeah, now she's on the <laughs> ceiling. And Harry's worrying about a prison sentence, exactly. and uh, and very quickly, he. I was like trying to think, how did he do that? Like he dragged his trunk from the cupboard up the stairs to his bedroom, got all his stuff, and then ran back down. I guess without being captured. Yeah, and I mean, he runs he back goes. down with all his stuff, and then Vernon tries to like threaten him, and he basically pulls his wand on Vernon like a gun. Like he points the wand True. at his face. He has him at, at wand point. Is that the technical term? <laughs> it is. <laughs> okay, it so is. He has him at wand point. Good and guess. he is like, stay away. I'm leaving. There's nothing you can do. And then he pieces out. Yeah. He's gone. <laughs> and that is the end of chapter two. And then we get into chapter three, the night bus, but night with a K, not night like the time. Oh. So Harry realizes that his charades are probably going to get him expelled by the ministry. He's not only worried about getting expelled from Hogwarts, but he's like, oh, I might get thrown into jail for this because mm-hmm. the, in the last book, you know, a thing of pudding levitated and fell down and he got a nasty and gram. He got like a citation. Yeah, he got a citation yeah. within seconds. He's like, this time I did this to a human being while other human beings watched me do it. I'm screwed. The worst. <laughs> so while that's going on, he realizes that all of his money is in Gringotts, but he can't walk to London because it's too far away. So then he has a great thought, which I love, is that he's like, well, if I'm already screwed, why don't I just go out with a bang? And he's like, why don't I use magic yeah. to get to London? It is. It is typical Harry. Typical Harry's like, well, I'm on this path already. Let's continue down it. <laughs> exactly. He doesn't necessarily do that. He's like, I'll try to get, you know, get there by a normal method. But while he's walking down the street, he noticed something down an alley. Mm. So he basically sees a massive black dog that scares him and causes him to fall over because he's so scared by it. A hulking shape in the shadows. What could it be? <laughs> As he's falling over. Arms flailing, trunk oh, down. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They make it seem like a very dramatic fall from, from zero feet. He's just on the ground, <laughs> trips over his own foot very dramatically. But conveniently, he sticks his arm out into the road. And what happens? He calls the night bus by accident. He quote, almost is run over by a violently purple triple decker bus. Triple decker. You know, most people would be intrigued by triple decker. I'm more intrigued by violently purple. <laughs> <laughs> like I want to get something and be like, oh, what color is your car? Oh, it's violently purple. <laughs> I don't know how purple becomes angry. I'm picturing some like monster truck, right? Like iridescent <laughs> yeah. violet. You know, depending on how you look at it with the angle, it's like different shades and all that. I know. And meanwhile, I'm more I'm more stuck on the physics of it. So like, A, you know, mechanically, like wouldn't it cause a lot of false alarms if every time you stick your wand out onto the street, <laughs> you summon the night bus? Also, slash, why is it driving if it could just apparate? Yeah. Like why can't it just apparate curbside? 
Come on, people. There's a lot of silly shit. So you find out that this bus is called the Night Bus, and it's an emergency transport system for stranded witches and wizards, which is mm-hmm. really useful. But as you've brought up, why why don't they just apparate if they're ever in danger? Right. A, why doesn't the wizard apparate? Yeah. And B, why if it's someone underage, someone infirm, someone like passed out, whatever, I get it. Like, why can't the bus just apparate to where they are? Why is it all about like super road sickness and like gross, 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 like a careening down a road? Like just operate next to the person come on and what's so strange about it is that like the only time a wizard or a witch should really be in trouble is when they're stranded without their wand the only way or drunk you can't operate okay, drunk true but the thing is like the only time you would be stranded and you have to call the bus with your wand where is your wand so if like the only time you're really in trouble is when you'd be wandless and you can't call the bus i feel like they need don't a think different- about it too hard don't think about <laughs> this it too is, hard this Mike. is the whole point of the podcast is i'm thinking about children's novels way too focus hard focus instead on stan shunpike's <laughs> ridiculous accent uh, yes so a young kid named stan uh gives information of the bus and an old man named ernie drives the bus stan and ernie now here's my confusion is i remember from the movies that there was like a detached Jamaican head that hung from the review mirror and that wasn't in the book. Am I confusing no. two things or did they just add that in the movie for shits and giggles? I think they probably added it for shits and gigs. Oh, wow. That is a really strange thing to add for no reason. I don't remember it. Um, oh. So I, I can't tell you with certainty. Okay, I remember But no, the it. night bus is like, I mean, it's like a, a London double-decker uh-huh. bus. That's the idea. But instead it's triple. Instead of seats, there's beds. Mm-hmm. And Ernie is like a crazy old dude. And Stan is like a, a comically accented, uh, like down and out working class dude. Yes. I remember the detached head thing, especially because it's featured in my favorite YouTube video of all time, which is every line by a person of color in the entire Harry Potter film series, oh, great. which spans yeah. all eight movies and is five like minutes seconds. long. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, I think in Prisoner of Azkaban, the only person of color is this Jamaican detached talking head. So part of me likes there to think they're like, hmm, how do we get black people into this movie? I got it. We'll add a detached Jamaican head on the bus. Perfect. Yeah, easy, easy laugh. Why not? Uh. <laughs> so yes, everything you've described about the night bus is completely accurate. Uh, they ask Harry what his name is, and he says he's Neville Longbottom, which is fantastic. The first, first name that comes to mind. <laughs> so Stan opens up a newspaper, and it has Sirius Black on the cover. And Harry notices, he's like, oh, this is the guy that was on the Muggle News. This is interesting that he would be on this wizard Weird. newspaper. Yeah. So apparently, Black has escaped from Azkaban prison and is eluding capture. Uh, Also, carrying a gun, parentheses, a kind of metal wand that muggles use to kill each other. Come off it, J.K. Rowling. (laughs) They must know what guns are. (laughs) Like, the odds that a wizard has been struck by a bullet and killed are are almost certain in the history of guns and wizardry. Gotta be. Like, come on. Gotta (laughs) be. But I do like that description. You find out that Sirius Black is the world's most notorious wizard criminal. Wow. And and you also learned that Fudge, the leader of the Ministry of Magic, warned the Muggle Prime Minister about Sirius Black. He did. And decided that they're going to keep the wizardness a secret. So now you know that the Prime Minister, like, has personal relations with the wizarding community, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Because then I wonder if you have, like, the cool CIA equivalent that is, you know, trying to keep everything under wraps. I thought that was awesome and needs its own spinoff. All will be revealed. Oh, good. I'm really excited. This makes me happy. <laughs> But basically, they decide that for the safety of people 
And you later find out because Sirius Black murdered muggles Mm -hmm. for the safety of muggles that they need to let people know that there is this criminal, but they're not going to tell him that he's a wizard. Yeah. Which, again, raises questions. So if they are coordinated enough to set up a tip line for muggles to call, that then somehow that message gets translated to wizards, why don't wizards have cell phones? Why can't we have national tip lines (laughs) for other important things? Like, why is there only a radio network? That's the only way people can communicate with each other that isn't owls. Like, come because if wizards had phones, all the plots of the Harry Potter movies would go by way too fast because they'd be able to Google things rather than look things up in a library for six chapters. I mean, not in the late 90s and <laughs> early 2000s. However, there would definitely be telephone service and not just like disembodied head in the flu. Yep. Anyway, we don't have to get caught up in it. <laughs> oh, but I love getting caught up in it. Okay, so... <laughs> the stuff I think about, yeah. Uh, also, I mean, obviously I wrote Harry Potter fan fiction when I was an adolescent mm-hmm. and much of the stuff I wrote about was like, okay, so what if you know, Harry becomes a cop or like a scientist or a doctor and like how, you know, post books would the kind of muggle and wizarding worlds align. I like it. That sounds Mm. like fun. Fascinating. (laughs) So apparently Sirius Black murdered 13 people with a single curse in front of a large group of humans rumored to be a big Voldemort supporter, uh, apparently Mm -hmm. like the second in command. So he wouldn't turn himself in when Voldemort was defeated by Harry's baby forehead. (laughs) And he was cornered by a group of people and I'm assuming police officers. And he did this spell that killed 12 muggles and one wizard. Just one spell. So a super Avada Kedavra, I'm assuming. And then the rumor is that while this happened, he was laughing the entire time. It was super effective. (laughs) Oh, yes, it was. So this was the first ever Azkaban breakout in history. No one's ever broken out before. Mm -hmm. It's like Alcatraz, but with Dementors and worse. Yeah, I didn't realize that the Dementors are the guards. I knew Dementors existed and you have to expecto Patron on them for them to go away, but I did not realize they were the Azkaban guards that have been mentioned previously in the series. So I thought... You're not meant to, right? But now you're now sort of demystified and and you see that creeping hand coming out from under the hood and, and you get a sense of what they actually are. Yeah, the whole time I was like, oh, Dementors are bad guys, but now it's like they're they're good guys, but they look so creepy. They're like objectively evil, but being put to use for human purposes, mm, I guess. Very crafty, very resourceful on the wizarding world. I know. Harry learns a lot on this short bus ride. He really does. <laughs> Where he's like, take me to, to Diagon Alley, why not? <laughs> Harry gets dropped off at Diagon Alley, and he bumps into Cornelius Fudge, who takes him... Because what else would the <laughs> Prime Minister of the Wizarding Worlds be doing at, like, you know, past dinner time? Like, like there must be a lot going on in the Wizarding World. Obviously, Sirius Black, notorious criminal, is just broken out of the unbreakable prison. So, but, like, however, Fudge did hear immediately about this minor use of unauthorized magic, like, 35 minutes ago. <laughs> like, he knows immediately what Harry's done. Mm-hmm. So he takes him to the Leaky Cauldron. And my favorite part about returning to the Leaky Cauldron is that you get the return of the toothless walnut owner. Oh, Tom. Uh, yeah. Old Tom. Yeah. Tom, who's described as looking like a toothless walnut in the first book. My favorite character <laughs> in the entire series. <laughs> Only because of that description. God, so uh, good. toothless walnut. It's amazing. Trusty Tom. And Fudge is acting real suspicious. Super sketch. He's like, oh, don't, don't worry about anything. Don't lose you again, do we? Said Fudge with a hearty laugh. <laughs> no, no. Best we know where you are. I mean, Fudge, you are a professional <laughs> politician. Where is your poker face, yeah. Fudgesicle? Where is it? <laughs> He's so creepy. And he tells Harry, oh, it's okay. The ministry's taking care of the whole Marge situation. And Harry's like, wait, but what about that one time, like, I dropped a bowl of pudding and it wasn't right. even me. And you guys got really <laughs> mad at me. He's like, oh. 
oh, come on. We have to be adaptable, crazy times. However, like, again, this will go on and on. Like, what rules do we enforce? What rules do we look around? Like, how does knowing people both benefit and harm Harry? We'll see it play out. Yeah, and it's just great because Cornelius Fudge is giving him the easy way out, like getting off scot-free, and Harry, like, keeps trying to get himself in trouble. He's like, wait, but I did this. And Cornelius is like, no, it's fine. He's like, but I did this this other time. He's like, Harry, it's fine. Just, like, stop it. And then the one thing he does ask for, but but Prime Minister, may I go to Hogsmeade? He's like, can you please sign my permission slip? No. And I quote, rules are rules. <laughs> it's so good. You mercurial fudgesicle. <laughs> this whole interaction is easily the most well-written thing so far. Just It's just so perfect. It's Ending awesome. it with the rules it's are awesome. rules a little bit. And like, to be fair, this is a book for children, but when I was first reading it, I like I felt so in the know where like things would happen in the book. I'm like, oh my God, that was foreshadowed earlier he's acting really suspicious you know it's great Mm -hmm. so somehow fudge finds out that petunia and vernon say that they'll take harry back next summer with no punishment at all as long as he stays at hogwarts for christmas and easter harry's like pshaw sure the first thing harry says is i do that anyway and then fudge is like just go do it harry it's so great Harry's just being a little shit. It's awesome. Again, more to come on this front. Yeah, so the initial note that I took was, oh, he has to go back next summer so that the beginning of book four can be the fucking same as all the goddamn <laughs> rest of the book. And she can remind us that Harry lives at number four Privet Drive and that the Dursleys were very normal. Thank you very much. <laughs> Harry's got a bowl cut that's very unruly. He goes to Hogwarts. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Fudge says no punishment at all. Harry's like, wait, but why did you yell at me for all the Dobby stuff? He's like, don't worry about it. So Harry knows something is up. And he's, you know, trying to figure out why Fudge is being so creepy. But he's given a room at the Leaky Cauldron and he's going to stay there until he needs to go back to Hogwarts. A whole week with an expenses paid hotel? Sounds great. Yeah. Fudge still won't sign the Hogsmeade slip, which is how the chapter ends. God. Uh, hey, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors who make this show possible. This episode of Potter List is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me. And then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash Potter. Listen, wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 
eight bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you want to collect some cards or rip open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or a Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. So then we get into chapter four, The Leaky Cauldron. So Harry goes into Diagon Alley every single day while he's there, and he gets very tempted to buy stuff because he's a 13-year-old boy without parental supervision. With a fortune. Yeah, with a fortune in the coolest shopping center ever. Place in the world. Yeah, he's, in, he's at the Mall of America for Wizards, and he just wants to buy stuff. One of the things he is very tempted to buy is Gobstones, which is a wizarding game similar to Marbles, but the balls spray you in the face with a smelly liquid if you lose a point. Gobstones sounds terrible. Uh, I have some more notes on this for later in this section. Everything in the wizard world sounds terrible. Everything that isn't like magical and beautiful and like would solve world hunger is terrible. Starting with these monster books seem like a terrible idea. Why is there the monster book? Why is there an invisible book of invisibility? Why? And also, no. what's funny is something that you brought up the last time we had done the podcast is that pumpkin juice sounds awful. They very casually drink pumpkin juice a lot throughout this book. They do. Like, it was very casually thrown. It's like, Hermione poured herself another glass of pumpkin juice. It's like, she shouldn't have had one in the first place. Why is she getting refills? I have more notes on that later. Oh, but as a kid, growing up, very confused. Like, what food was real and what was not? So, like, treacle tart is real, but, like, butterbeer is not? Like, I, I got very confused. <laughs> so, another thing that Harry really wants to get is this new fancy ass broom in Diagon Alley called the Firebolt, which is an awesome name. name. Like when I read that, I had to pause the book for a second and be like, oh, like a lightning bolt, but fire. Like, that's like a riot so you tail. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. It's, it, yeah, it's <laughs> basically the tail of a Flareon that you yeah. play Quidditch on top of. It's fantastic. So good. So good. Price on request, though, which is never a good sign. No. Oh, oh wait, no. unless you're rich. <laughs> yeah, so the broom says price on request, which is like when you go to a fancy seafood place and half of the seafood says ask the waiter, which is the worst Market thing. Market rate. Yeah, you never no. want to ask, like, no. how much is the halibut? And then they're like, six <laughs> trillion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to pretend. They look at you like, can you afford to eat here? Probably not. <laughs> the worst thing, though, is that, like, if you ask for the price of something, the only thing that you, the only reason you wouldn't buy it is because it's really expensive. So you have to like, act like you're no not interested in no it. You got to be like, oh, like, actually, mm, I don't want sea bass. I feel like the penne pasta. <laughs> can I have the kids' chicken tenders, please? <laughs> <sighs> so Harry has to buy new robes because he's grown, because he's 13 and had a growth spurt. So he can't use a, a wizard spell that makes clothes bigger? Is that not Whatever, is that not a thing? whatever. Don't think too hard. Don't think too hard. <laughs> I always do. Harry sees the monster book of monsters. They're in a cage fighting each other, which sounds terrible. And Harry's like, wow, that looks really bad. Oh, wait. Hagrid gave me this book. So now this seemingly random Christmas or birthday gift that Harry got from Hagrid turns out to be the most clutch thing ever. Or like super lame because he would have needed to get it anyway. Like my, my dad's birthday was right around the beginning of school. So every year he would just get a new pair of pants for his birthday. He's like, great, thanks. 
<laughs> yeah, that's terrible. But at least Harry doesn't have to fight for a book in this cage of books. Yes. Or make the attendant go back in it or whatever. No, that would not be good. We also hear a couple more things about different periodicals in the Wizarding Universe, including um, Transfiguration Today, which I thought was hilarious because, like, what is happening in the world of Transfiguration that they need their own periodical? <laughs> like, I thought that was great. And also, Unfogging the Future, very good guide to all your basic fortune-telling methods, palmistry, crystal balls, bird entrails, Bird and trails. Don't just sneak that one in there. Like, what are you talking about? That is the best way to predict the future. And finally, there is the Death Omens book. I really like the bookstore. Okay. No, good. Uh, I'm glad. But on the cover of the Death Omens book, we have a big black dog. Now, the whole big black dog thing is funny because the only thing that I remember from book three, because I haven't read it before now, but I've watched the movie and I don't really remember. The one thing I thought was that Sirius Black can turn into a big black dog. So I don't know if either A, I've really messed things up, Mm -hmm. or B, he can turn into a dog and Harry is just, you know, bumping into him in the streets and the omen thing is all just, you know, freaking him out. So that's we'll a fun see. thing I get to find out later. <laughs> Yay. More shopping. More shopping. You get to see the, the you know, greater side of animal pets in the wizarding world. Yeah. Harry starts bumping into classmates, bumps into Neville at some point, finally gets back with the squad, Ron and Hermione. Hey. He looks at the firebolt every single day like a nerd. But that being said... It it makes sense for me because I really like basketball. And if there was a really fancy pair of basketball shoes on display, I would walk by them every day and be like, oh, like the Kobe 11s. Oh, man. I know. (laughs) If only I could wear those one day. Of course you would. Uh, So, yeah, finally see the squad. And they're like, let's go to the ice cream shop. And he's like, yes, let's do it. For the skews. Mm -hmm. Hermione has a million books, like a million and a half books. All the subjects. And it's her birthday. She has 10 galleons left from her birthday gift. And she wants to buy an owl. Ron thinks that his rat has been odd and a bit off color since his trip to Egypt. Now, my initial guess is that this is Peter Pettigrew or whatever that guy is with the weird teeth. And he's using some polyjuice potion to turn into a rat. I think that happens in this book. I'm not sure. But this is cool. my prediction. I think this happened in the movie. Not positive. Regardless, something's happening something's with scabbards. Up. Something with scabbards. This is my prediction. I hope I'm correct. A witch at a shop gives him rat tonic, which is supposed to help. Whatever. At this witch shop. You also meet Crookshanks, the cat. Yay! Legend. (laughs) Now, as someone that has not read the Harry Potter books, but hears all people talking about it, Crookshanks was one of the things that I didn't know what it was, but I know that everybody names their cat after it. (laughs) Like, I know multiple friends with cats named Crookshanks. So when I found out that Crookshanks was a cat, I immediately lost respect for all of those friends. Like, you can't even name your cat after a not cat. It's literally like, we got a cat. What should we name it after? How about the cat in Harry Potter? Like, no, there's be more cats named Scabbers or Buckbeak. You should name like a like a Rottweiler Crookshanks. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah, be great. That would be fun. Like a really scary pit bull named Crookshanks. I know. But I mean, regardless, Crookshanks is a legend. And his first appearance in the book is trying to catch slash kill Scabbers. Yes. Emphasis on the, the kill for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so Hermione, who is going to buy an owl, instead buys Crookshanks. And Ron is like, you're stupid. And I agree with Ron wholeheartedly. Ron, super I like Ron in this book a lot. I wouldn't say he's sassy, but he's like, I don't know. He's like not putting up with anyone's bullshit and it's great. Like he doesn't put up with Hermione's bullshit. He doesn't put up with Harry's bullshit. He doesn't put up with Malfoy's bullshit. Like Ron's just like, fuck everyone. And I love it. Yes. (laughs) 
Percy is overly formal when he sees Harry, which is, oh, which God, again, Percy. Percy's just always the worst. Exhausting and it's only book three. <laughs> He's just <laughs> always the worst. Always. And the, but the one good thing about Percy being overly formal is that the twins shit on him for being overly formal. Awesome. So they continue to prove to be the most perfect people in this entire novel series. If I had to cast you as someone in the Harry Potter universe, Mike, I would probably cast you as a third Fred and George twin. <laughs> my, my... Freshman year of college, in my dorm, we did a little thing where people got paired up with what character in Harry Potter there would be, and me and my roommate got picked as the Weasley twins. And I was always like, oh, okay, they're they're the silly guys from Gryffindor. But more and more as I read these books, I'm like, wow, my friends were super correct. They're like the heart and soul of, like, the Harry Potter universe. They're just so great. So Mr. Weasley is with them, and he says that the ministry is going to provide a car and... Harry's like, this has to be because of me and Fudge being really weird. I would say it's narcissistic, but it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he's going to get basically Secret Service shuttling to the platform nine and three quarters. Sounds great. Also note that the Weasleys are staying over a night at Leaky Cauldron. Wow, look at that money. Super fun. So Papa Weasley's super sketch about it. And he's like, oh, no, Harry, we have to do it because remember, the car is wrecked. So they're doing us a favor. And conveniently, one page later, (laughs) Harry's able to overhear a secret conversation. (laughs) Exactly. So I had written down, I'm guessing that they think Sirius is going to finish the job against Harry. And then next page, oh, yes, I'm correct. (laughs) Like, you're not exaggerating. It's literally the next page. What happens is that Papa and Mama Weasley are having like a little little tiff in the hallway of the Leaky Cauldron before they go up to their rooms. An aside, if you will. Oh, yes. Apparently what's happened is that the guards have heard that Black says he's at Hogwarts while he's in jail. He just keeps Which, repeating like, over and over Which, like, just forget the 2,000 other boys who are at Hogwarts. This one must be Gotta Harry. Be Harry. So he just keeps saying over and over again, he's at Hogwarts, he's at Hogwarts, he's at Hogwarts, in his sleep, which is sketchy. The Azkaban guards are now at Hogwarts, so Dumbledore is very upset because he's like, yo, we can take care of this. We got this. We don't need, we don't need these people creeping around. On like, his turf, right. I'm Dumbledore. This is my grounds like everybody back off i don't need no help from creepy skeletons in torn clothes that get defeated by expecto patronums word the twins have stolen percy's badge the badge that says head boy and have rewrote it to say big head boy which is (laughs) just great (laughs) they always go for the sickest burn (laughs) they don't like mess around whatsoever They're great, and they're absolutely brutal to Percy, and he totally deserves it every single time. It's fantastic. Uh, As is the anti-motivational mirror in Harry's room, which just is, like, so insulting about his his appearance and, like, motivation in life. I love it so much. Yeah, it's a sassy mirror mirror on the wall from Snow White. It's pretty great. Awesome. (laughs) So Harry thinks he's going to be safe at Hogwarts. He's like, wait a second. Voldemort is terrified of Dumbledore. Dumbledore is still there. And now we've got these creepy guards that are supposed to be scary. Harry has still not learned that they're the Dementors yet. But he's like, Mm -hmm. I'm totally going to be fine. Let's get me to Hogwarts. I'm so safe. The biggest thing that Harry is upset about, though, is that he can't go to Hogsmeade. That's another thing you learn from the little discussion is that there's no way Harry can go to Hogsmeade. And he's very heartbroken. We still don't know why Hogsmeade is cool. We just know that it's very cool. And it is it is a bit of a, you know, a Chekhov's permission slip at this point. Like something about Hogsmeade is going to have to be significant, right, for Harry to be so torn up about not going right now. Mm -hmm. So chapter five, the Dementor. My first note, all caps, expecto patronum. 
Uh, this is this is the first time it's mentioned that the guards are the Dementors. So this was a huge revelation, a revelation for me. It is. It is. They all head to King's Cross in the Ministry Convoy. Mr. Weasley won't leave Harry's shoulder the entire time as they're walking to Platform 9 and 3 quarters, which is fantastic. <laughs> he starts to tell Harry, you know, what's going on. He's trying to be like, hey, Harry, I have something important to tell you. And Harry's like, I already know. I heard you and Mama Weasley talking about it. It's cool. I got it. <laughs> Mr. Weasley makes Harry promise that he won't go looking for Sirius Black, which I think is silly. At what point is Harry like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go find this guy that <laughs> killed 13 people with one spell. Harry just wants to go get candy and butterbeer. Like, that's <laughs> all he wants right now. And Weasley's like, don't embark on a serious mission. And Harry's like, hmm. Mm, now that you mention it, because we get from the first two books that Harry likes to investigate stuff that's going on. But I would like to trust Harry to avoid someone that could end his life. I don't think yeah, that that's necessary. Said, he was thinking like, hmm, I'll be in this literal walled castle with literal ghost guards around me. That seems pretty safe. Like he's pumped about yeah, that. Yeah, he's pumped about not finding serious Black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Harry tries to talk with the squad in private, but all of the cars in the train, the, what, the Hogwarts Express, are full. Mm-hmm. They go to one at the very end of the train that has a sleeping guy in it, and they look on his, his luggage, and they find out that it is Professor R.J. Lupin. Professor Lupin! Again, another name that I've heard. Seems like he's going to be a cool guy. They have inferred that he's the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher because they're like, oh, right, Gilderoy Lockhart is gone. Yep. They have to get a new one. This must be the new guy. So they're like, he's sleeping, whatever, no big deal. So Harry tells the squad what's going down. Afterwards, uh, they start talking about Hogsmeade and further hyping it up. Like Ron is talking about all the food and the candy and all the stuff. And Harry's just like, grumble, grumble, grumble. And we do get a little bit of important history. So again, just a, a quick quote. Mm-hmm. But Hogsmeade's very interesting place, isn't it? Hermione pressed on eagerly. In sites of historical sorcery, it says the inn was the headquarters for the 1612 Goblin Rebellion. And the Shrieking Shack is supposed to be the most severely haunted building in Britain. So a little bit of, uh, you know, foreshadowing there, what's going to be going down in Hogsmeade. Are those buildings in the wizarding world because I don't think I ran into those buildings. I just drank butterbeer and went on the ride four times. They are not. Oh, man. So Malfoy, Vincent Crabbe, and Gregory Goyle, and I wrote, oh, they have first names because I don't know that they've been given first names before this point. I don't think so. They also really double down on their physical appearance, so they're they're definitely goonish. Yeah, they really describe them as being, like, very much henchmen. I was really upset that Vincent Crabbe's first name is Vincent. I was really hoping it was going to be Alan because there is a shooting guard that plays for the Portland Trail Blazers named Alan Crab, and every time I see Crab and Goyle, I think of Alan Crab. So if his name was Alan Crab, I would have been like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> but Epic. it's Vincent Crab and Gregory Goyle. Yay! More alliteration names. We didn't have enough of them. Malfoy, Vincent Crab, and Goyle show up, and they are gonna, you know, be all sassy to Harry. But then they notice that Lupin is there, and they see that he's a professor, so they leave. What? How weak! <laughs> <laughs> a sleeping professor who J.K. Rowling is very, you know, careful to tell us is shabbily dressed, poor looking, exhausted, ill, gray. Like, this guy doesn't seem like he put up much of a fight. We just continually learn that Malfoy is the worst bully. He's a he, terrible like he's, bully. He's inconsistent. He has no style. He has, like, obviously, you know, bodyguards that he relies on for strength. Like, oh, Malfoy. The train breaks down and the Dementors enter, mm-hmm. to which I wrote, oh, oh shit. Boy. 
<laughs> yeah, it's shit's getting real real. Another good movie scene as well. Yeah. Like the, everything goes kind of like bluish yeah. gray. I can imagine the scene being really good. I don't remember it, but when I rewatch the movie, I will sh- certainly think this is going to be a good one. So they like get on the train. They go in front of Harry, and Harry kind of freaks out, doesn't know what's happening. He has visions of people screaming and all sorts of really scary shit. Bad stuff. And then Professor Lupin wakes up and saves the day. So he expect. I assume he expect Opatronos them to get them out of there. Yeah, we're not sure yet because we don't know the spell. But yeah, he yes. gets them out of there somehow. Harry had like sort of collapsed, and he kind of wakes up. And Lupin says, hey, you got to eat to get better. So he gives him candy because that's what they have on the train. Chocolate, Uh, Mike. Chocolate. Chocolate. Specifically chocolate, right. Malfoy comes back and then gives Harry a bunch of shit for fainting. Which is fucking dumb. Like, did Malfoy, did you not see oh, I'm sorry, the Malfoy, Dementor? You were running away. I'm sorry, you ran away from the giant things that literally the scariest criminals in the world are terrified of. It made Harry pass out a little bit, and you're making fun of him? That doesn't make any sense at all. The worst, the worst. Also, I really loved the description of when Harry was waking up from the Dementor attack. Um, so he said he felt weak and shivery as if he were recovering from a bad bout of flu. He also felt the beginnings of shame. Why had he gone to pieces like that when no one else had? Um, and so again, briefly, like J.K. Rowling has spoken a lot about her history of depression. And as we continue to learn more about Dementors as magical creatures and like important parts of the world and what actually mechanically they do to people, you know, think about that as a metaphor. And I just, I really love that, uh, that kind of ability to read, um, you know, Dementors as a kind of more symbolic creature. Man, this is why having you as a guest is the greatest because you provide all Boom. these smart insights and I'm just like, <laughs> this part's stupid. I also like shit talking Malfoy. So, you know, I try to really give you the balance <laughs> you approach get the balance. You get, yeah, you know, a little bit, of, a little bit of ebony and ivory. Yeah. So Lupin breaks up the little argument that the two are having. And then Malfoy gives the chocolate recovery. (laughs) Malfoy again, just scurries away like the coward he is. So the, they get to Hogwarts. McGonagall brings in the squad to talk about what went down in the train. Because God forbid Harry attend the welcoming feast on time. No, it's like, we got to get you in here, <laughs> Harry. We got to talk about stuff. They bring in Pomfrey also. And Pomfrey's like, uh, you again? Because Harry's always in her office, which I think is Typical. fantastic that she's like, God Typical. damn it, Harry. Can you just stay out of trouble for one school year? No, no, he can't. What is amazing is that he gets there and I was thinking, okay, like they gave him chocolate just because that's only the thing that was on the train. But Pomfrey, exactly. the nurse, is like, okay, the the legitimate remedy is eating chocolate. Like, that is the yeah. prescribed cure for Dementors is eating chocolate. <laughs> Which Lupin seemed to know really well. I wonder why. Mm, maybe he's a nurse. The squad misses the sorting hat ceremony, which is sad, but they make it in time for the feast, which is all that matters. Exactly. Gotta get that pumpkin juice. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 I don't know if you do. <sighs> Dumbledore announces that the Dementors are the Azkaban guards. So that's the big revelation is that these yes. scary evil things are keeping the children safe. So it's very heavy handedly mentioned at one point when when he's describing the protocol for the guards is that they shouldn't be lurking around and he super heavy handedly says no invisibility cloaks, which Dumbledore knows literally only <laughs> means yo, Harry and Ron and Hermione. Did, did you hear me, Harry? None of no that shit where you cloaks. sneak around in your dad's cloak. <laughs> <laughs> so Lupin is announced as the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Yes, our annual uh, personnel update. 
And you get the annual Snape looking at him with disdain. Uh, the direct quote was, we get it, Snape. Snape looked at Lupin with the same loathing every time he set his eyes on Harry, which really puts <laughs> into perspective how badly Snape wanted to smang it with Harry's mom. Exactly. Yeah. This particular kind of loathing that I don't think it's just the degree of loathing. I think it's also the the thematic, <laughs> you know, behind it. Why is why are Harry and Lupin in the same car in the same category? In Snape's mind. Think about it. We'll see. Interesting. Mm. And then Hagrid is announced as a new teacher. He is teaching. Because Professor Kettleburn, again, the magical world is terrible, retired at the end of last year in order to enjoy more time with his remaining limbs. A, Dumbledore, what? (laughs) B, the magical world is terrible. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. But yeah, Hagrid is announced as the care of magical creatures teacher, which is perfect for Hagrid. And I'm really glad that. The whole thing with the second book is they got him off the rap and now he's, you know, yes. back in wizardness and he's teaching. Back in it's action. It's fantastic. So the squad goes back to the dorm, they go to bed, and that's the end of chapter five. After their gigantic feast, because I guess heartburn isn't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell I'm getting older because I'm thinking like, oh, that would be bad. They got wizard tums. They'll be fine. Aww. Okay, so we're going to stop it there. We're at a good stopping point. We're going to pause it here, and <gasps> that's going to be the end of this episode. I know. But there's so much more to come. I know. There is so much more to come, and that's why everyone should subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud uh, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just Google Potter list. It might be there. Don't be a Vernon Dursley. Don't refuse <laughs> to sign the permission slip. Yeah. Give give us an, a review on iTunes. But yes, if you guys want to follow Amanda in her podcast endeavor, she has a lovely little podcast called The Spirits Podcast where alcohol is consumed and mythology is discussed. We do. And it's, we get and it's a little a good drunk. Little time. We talk about mythology. My best friend's a historian and I'm just there for the jokes. It's Spirits, a drunken dive into myths and legends at Spirits Podcast on social media. Beautiful. Good times. So, all of you listeners, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you really want to help out the podcast, if you could rate us on iTunes, that would be the coolest thing ever. It really helps a lot. Amanda, thank you so much for being a part of this. Listeners, thank you again. You're lovely. And as they say in the wizarding world, the wizard on. Love it. Potterless was created by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. And it is produced by Mike Schubert. And the music is by Bettina Campamanas. Thanks also to everyone that has followed us on Twitter. It's at PotterlessPod. There's been fantastic support. You guys have been really nice shouting out the podcast, especially people like 24 Hours a Year, Mirist, Hannah Floyd, and more. I really do appreciate it. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on! 